0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at
1: wearelibertarians.com. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Wall Daily, uh, where we're going to be answering tough questions that libertarians face. Uh Joining me today, uh, I am Paul Copeland, and joining me today is Hody Johns. Hody, how are you today? Oh, Paul, I'm so
0: good. Uh, really stoked for this episode in particular because part one we got we got innumerable amounts of feedback on. So this one, uh, people were excited for part two even before they knew that they were only listening to part one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh and of course you know we're not supreme experts on the subject uh and we did get a few little little details wrong here and there but uh nothing that I really think warrants going back and having to dig up all the innumerable hate mail and criticism that we had to wade through.
0: Well, now my feedback was mostly positive. What what did they, what did they say we botched? Just so everybody knows who's listening. We're talking about healthcare being fixable. That's our tough question this time is how would a libertarian world fix healthcare? Uh,
1: The one that sticks out to me was the uh, person who questioned what they were testing when I uh, went into the, or, to the uh health clinic right but that was uh now that
0: was thanks to carly i don't think she was even doubting uh and she's on our facebook group which you should join by the way but uh she i don't think she was even doubting your story just kind of doubled down on the ridiculousness that they would check for what what it was herpes with a swab when it'd be better to do it with a blood draw but they only did it with a swab because they were looking at your mouth to begin with right right
1: yeah I mean, we were
0: talking about the extra uh, procedures that they do that are unnecessary, and that was one that they tacked on to do to do to you, even though you weren't you. you what were you there for again?
1: Uh, it ended up being tonsillitis. Tonsillitis. It was, yeah, to my unprofessional diagnosis, it was a toss-up between that and strep throat, right. which have the exact same treatment. So,
0: yeah. So. <sighs> For me, I didn't even take that as criticism so much as just her her saying that's a very weird thing to check. And you agreed. You were like, yeah, I mean that that's the whole reason the whole thing stuck out to me. Um if you missed part one, you can go back and listen to it because basically we I cite a ton of sources that state how we would reduce the cost of healthcare to 90% of what it is now across the board. Um, I have numbers that's backed... Actually, the, the sum of my judgments is actually backed up by the Federalist, and they have some work as well. Um, But I actually ran the numbers individually, line by line, on the top six most expensive things. Before we get into part two, which is how we would further fix the system or how we would really transform it in the libertarian world, one of the things that I did want to rehash was that we did not spend one iota of time... Talking about pre-existing conditions or insurance, and I feel like that's not an accident because a lot of people are like, "Oh, you didn't talk about pre- pre-existing conditions. You didn't talk about insurance." Well, frankly, those didn't crack the most expo- expensive parts of healthcare, you know. And I feel like that is a that's one of those false dichotomies that we have. We fight a false battle that isn't relevant to actually fixing the costs what it does is it it puts the haves versus the have-nots i'm not much of a conspiracy theorist but that seems almost like media generated because what it does is it says oh it's you rich insurance companies no it's you poor sick people and it puts the rich versus the poor in this battle over something that even if all of the rest of the costs were because of insurance companies and pre-existing conditions we're ta- we'd be talking about less than 10% of the fat on the budget uh, for healthcare. And I, I just feel like that's, that's something that while I was doing the research, we find that we spend the majority of our time arguing about something that isn't very relevant because it's divisive.
1: Well, and quite frankly, in my opinion, uh, the goal of a more libertarian healthcare system would be one where you don't have to worry about healthcare insurance at all. Uh, you know where you would have a general idea of the costs and you would be able to save up for and tackle those costs when they come along it'd be more akin to budgeting for a new set of tires as opposed to worrying about buying a new maserati
0: i yes i don't think it's necessarily possible in a libertarian world to get rid of insurance because it's it's a voluntary group of people that would pay the exact same costs on procedures. You just have a group of people that say, Hey, let's all pay X amount a month. It's just that X amount a month would be so low. It's hard to even think that people would necessarily see insurance as that advantageous. Right. If we cut insurance, if we cut all healthcare costs by 90%, it's like, well, then you go from being like, Oh, I have to pay, you know, $200 a month to, I have to pay $20 a month or I could just, you know, not, pay it and pay out of pocket for something that's, again, 10% of the cost, which makes it so it's like, eh, $20 $20 is it even worth thinking about?
1: You know? Right. And also, there would be a larger role, in my opinion, for health savings accounts. Uh, And, you know, get some of the unnecessary regulation on those out of the way so that people can actually use them for anything health-related. Regardless of what it is, it doesn't have to be on a pre-approved list.
0: Right. Uh, Yeah. That's, and that's, I, that is absolutely a free market solution. I just want to suggest it because I think a lot of people would think, oh, that benefits the rich again, people that can save up for their healthcare. This is an option to everybody. And if we're talking about reducing the cost by 10%, and if the prices are the same, yeah, to 10%, sorry, not by, to 10%, and that's at least 10%. We only looked at the top six. Budget items. We go further. We're saying we're reducing healthcare by at least ninety percent. That benefits the poor and the rich alike, and I think that creates an opportunity for the poor to save. So it's not only benefiting those who can save. It it creates an opportunity where those who have conditions that they know about actually can save up for it, as opposed to just being constantly in debt or constantly borrowing against the national reserve for it. Um. So, so so yeah. Let let's moving on from that. Moving on from that. Let let's expand things open a little bit. Um. So what what prevents competition in our current system? Why, why is it not? Why are our healthcare costs not competitive?
1: Well, uh, there are many ways in which the hospitals and other healthcare providers in our system currently don't have to compete. Uh, one of the most egregious forms that I've come across in my years of looking at this is. Uh, so-called certificate needs, All and what those are are they're basically zoning permits that prevent medical facilities from adding certain things uh, if they're in the footprint of another medical facility service area. So, so okay, are you familiar yeah. with these?
0: Yeah. So, I, I used to work in um, in a hospital in my younger days. I was far from a doctor i was uh far far from even a nurse's aide i was a i was a paramedic but i relegated myself to doing um ivs and ekgs and vitals and that was my job around the hospital but just some familiarity with it but i i do remember we would have to transfer people out to other hospitals to do like a dialysis and we would get people transferred in to do like a specialized kind of ultrasound. And the, you know, I, I just remember offhand asking one day in in my young naive days of youth saying, well, why don't we have a dialysis machine here? And I just remember the, the doctor being like, yeah, we're not allowed to. I didn't think anything of it at the time, but as we were studying for this episode, it became apparently obvious yeah,
1: so we were not it.
0: allowed to, you know, it's, right. it's yeah. only one per like region or area, which is so bizarre. But it, it, I mean, go into detail
1: about it, because I know this was your you, you brought this up because you knew right. about it. So certificates of public need are basically uh, any medical group that wants to bring in a piece of equipment such as a dialysis machine or add a certain number number of beds to their facility. They have to prove that there is a need for that in the area and that it won't have a financial impact on the uh, existing medical facilities in the area. So your hospital couldn't add a dialysis machine because the dialysis clinic down two miles away would be able to argue that they would be negatively impacted financially and it would, air quotes, threaten their operation. So. You guys couldn't compete with them directly.
0: And so what is that? (laughs) And I ask this, of course, rhetorically, Paul, what does that enable them to do with the price of doing a dialysis?
1: Well, that keeps the price artificially high. Uh, It limits the supply uh, while maintaining the same level of demand. And, you know, anyone with a basic realization of economics knows that that is going to increase the price.
0: And because you're the only one that can compete in the area. Now, this is... Ex- it, people in small markets already have a tough time with this. You know, we ha- we have citizens that only have one hospital and they say, well, this is the only one you're going to get. The prices are exorbitant. But then we realize, you know, we say, well, why isn't it any better in cities? Well, this is, this is exactly it. Because you have to drive uh, 30 miles, 60 miles away for something that... I mean, I mean, maybe you could predict it ahead of time like dialysis, dialysis or an ultrasound. But if you have a life-threatening condition, and I can tell you this from having worked on the ambulance, they'll say, yeah, you have to go to this hospital because of the condition here. And so this is something that beyond being expensive can actually kill somebody. Because if I'm riding on an ambulance and the closest hospital that would that has that life-saving device or, or no longer has that life-saving device, that's just more time in between when they're not getting treated for a life-threatening condition, you know? And and so that is, it, it, it makes so much more sense now that I know it now. It's funny that I was this close to, to the medical industry. Again, I was young and probably not asking as many questions as I should have, but that I've seen this cost people their lives. And then we're talking about how it costs people economically. So we're paying for it I mean, whether you have that condition or not, you're going to pay for it financially. Sometimes you'll pay for it with your life. Yeah. Uh, part two of this uh, that that we're looking at here, and, and this is a uh, healthcare costs through charge master. Now, I guess every hospital owns a um, and operates their own charge master, which is a it's a series of billing lists that each hospital individually maintains, and it. Yeah, uh, I mean, it vastly increases the cost of healthcare. What it's supposed to do is be a baseline for negotiation. However, because um, there are laws in place that make it so that they don't have to discuss the costs with you before the procedure is done, it's really not... A- spot a negotiation at all, because you can't say, well, what's that surgery cost? Oh, here's what it costs. Okay. I'm going to get it somewhere else. It says, Hey, you need this surgery. Let's just do the surgery and figure out what it costs afterward. And that's always my experience. I mean, I've never had a major surgery, but when I've needed something done, that's always been my experience with a hospital is that I don't even asking a question about like, well, how much would that medication costs, or, you know, I, i I had my thumb infected and I said, well, how much will this, you know, will this cost to just prick it? And I'm um, sorry to be gross about this, but get all the pus out because it was, yeah, it, it was the- and painful and, and they wouldn't say, and they said, well, we kind of can't until we've already done it. And then we retroactively look back at the procedure and they're protected by law to be able to do that versus a free market, which would say, here's the cost here, here and here.
1: Right. So... You know the charge masters are generally incredibly detailed, and they go down all the way to the price of a single tablet of some mild pain relief medication like an aspirin or an ibuprofen yes and uh doing an audit of these charge masters uh you'll find basically that the prices are almost always inflated well beyond what a hospital's uh, Reasonably, should be charging uh, something like a hundred dollars in some cases for a single tablet of pain medication. Which, given a hospital's bulk buying power uh, in a free market, they should be able to negotiate something even less than the like one cent per tablet that I can buy. This bottle of ibuprofen right here costs me ten bucks for 500.
0: Yes that is and that's the most notable part that i saw of this so there was a study here um conducted by the huffington post uh they were in new jersey and new york area and they went they uh had somebody with copd who uh needed to be treated for it and they went to a bunch of different uh hospitals that were all within like a 30 mile radius and in one They got charged $99,690 to treat the COPD. And in another one, they charged $7,044. Same treatment, same lists, but their charge master put together something and just said, well, you know, one, since they can't negotiate for it, who cares? You know, we can make it as high as we want. And that's probably what we should do. We discussed on the last episode how doctors only get 4% of what they charge anyway per year. And so they're going to say, well, we should charge as high as we can if we only get 4% of it, you know, charge as high as we can. So because it's individually operated and because you don't know beforehand, there really isn't a free market on this. Because like I said, you can be 7000 or $99,000 simply by walking down the street. And you would have no way of knowing that because you can't ask up front.
1: Yeah. A free market requires information to be available to the consumer, and when that information isn't there and the lack of information is protected by law, you don't get free market forces able to work.
0: Right, and in fairness to the medical profession, because I understand that not every surgery is created equal, you don't want to just say, hey, you know, (laughs) uh, appendectomy $500, no matter what, we ask no questions. Look, everybody's bone structure, skin, the 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 way the procedure goes. There's various things that come up, right? But like a plumber will tell you, well, here's the variety of problems it could be. Here's what those would cost. Here's how many hours they would be. Here's what it would cost. You can at least create a gamut, a uh, right, yeah. a range <laughs> of values
1: that of costs. Yeah, you can certainly guesstimate what the cost would be for, say, an appendectomy. And then when you and I both go in for appendectomies at the same hospital and they have to cut through an extra couple of layers of fat on me compared to you, my price might reflect that.
0: Yes. A
1: couple of layers of fat, a few feet, who knows.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm mean, uh thankfully we don't do video for our podcast, so I can really just let myself go in the days beforehand. Uh, <laughs> the, the and and so this is on top of I, I want everybody to remind everybody, this is on top of the ninety percent, right? We've cut ninety percent of your charges. Now we're cutting it even more. And in the case of like COPD, I can't tell you, unlike the other stuff where I could give you an exact number, your hospital could be charging you a hundred times what a procedure actually costs, because they're just trying to get as much as they can from you. I don't believe that all these hospitals are evil. In fact, most of them have the same profit margin as like a fast food restaurant. okay? I, I, I don't believe that that doctors just like to rack up costs. But they they have their, um they have licensing to cover. They have their medical school to cover. You know, if it's a private doctor, obviously he's got all those charges. If it's a public hospital, you know, they have to cover all the, the Medicare costs. They have to cover how little they're actually getting back. And so they're forced into this situation of saying, well, we think we can get away with charging someone $100,000 on COPD, even though we could treat it for $2,000. But if we charge them that, and we're only going to get 4% of it back, then we need to charge as much as we possibly can. And the people in our area, you know, they make a guess. And they say, well, the people in our area, you know, probably would be, we could probably milk them for this. We could probably milk them for that. And that is what rings that, that bell for me that says, oh, no, this is not free market. Because you, they're asking what costs the most, as opposed to what costs the least, you know? And that's what a free market does, you know, and that's, and so, and, and this is simple to get rid of. You just allow them to disclose prices up front, you know, and, and, and demand that they do so. And if the free and the, you know, with the free market, of course, hospitals could feel free not to, but people wouldn't visit those anymore. You know, as soon as you release that, you know, people don't pay for burgers that you find out about the burger after the fact. You know, (laughs) eat it first and we'll tell you later. You know, simply allowing people to know the price up front is going to change the market so that all the hospitals to stay in business have to have to give their disclose their prices up front.
1: Right. So do do you know exactly what that would look like if the pricing was disclosed and acted upon in the competitive market? So we've reduced it by 90%.
0: And now we're taking what isn't reduced and reducing that to its minimal value. It's hard for me to say because for two reasons. One is because technology is crazy. The advancements we make in medical care every year are nuts. I, uh, I told you I I used to work in a hospital and having gone back to a hospital, even 10 years after I stopped working there, it, I don't rec, I wouldn't know how to work the equipment, you know. I mean, I, I was still used to taking temperature by sticking a thing in people's ears. And now they do this rolly thing across your forehead. I mean, I just, there's so many advancements on it and so much that, that it's hard for me to price that because it's going to be new every time it comes
1: up. Well, what if I told you there was a surgical center in the United States that provided its pricing up front? And this is, you know, before we even start tackling the 90% of costs, they are providing an idea of what an actual free market upfront pricing healthcare system would cost.
0: Well, good Does on that. that
1: interest you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where are we? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> so, this is the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and it's a medical center that provides upfront pricing, and it even has its own website. So you can go on there and get a general idea of what any surgery that they list would be priced at. And then they also have consultations for more specialized procedures. Now, I didn't have time to do a whole bunch of uh, cross comparisons for all these different surgical procedures. But I went through and I chose a procedure that is very common in the United States, especially with our older population, which would be a total knee replacement. Oh, you say older
0: population, you make the young kids with the knee replacement feel bad.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Well, (laughs) having never been an athlete to any real extent, I never put my knees in any real danger. Gotcha. So I can't relate there, (laughs) but you know, if we look at the national average, uh, how how much would you say the national average for a total knee replacement is?
0: Ugh, I mean, I would. It's you know, just just thinking about it to myself, I would hope it wouldn't be more than like forty thousand okay. dollars.
1: Hmm. Actually, uh, it's $56,000 for Medicare patients. Okay. So, and $58,300 for those with private insurance, according to Healthline.com.
0: So, that's the cost of like a rural townhouse. You can get your knee in yeah. a place or you can buy a home. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's. Uh, and just doing a direct comparison on the Surgery Center of Oklahoma's website, they uh, list their starting price at $15,499. That's like a quarter 26.5% uh, of the national average.
0: Wow. So so significantly less and that and and that's because they've opted to give di- divulge their prices up front. Now this is a gambit for them, isn't it? Do, do we know do you happen to know why? because ordinarily if they don't have to operate in a free market they won't so do they just do it out of the kindness of their hearts why do they release the prices up front
1: well uh to my knowledge they are actually a little bit more uh free market oriented they actually on their uh website pr- tout the uh tout the basically the free market
0: uh Okay, so they've decided to, like, kind of embrace the system, even though they're not on that system, to say this is kind of the system we should be on, so let's, you know. And I assume that they're trying to do something like people would come in for out of, from out of state, like drum up extra yeah. business, right, in order, you know, by saying, hey, if we make it a fourth of the cost, you know, we yeah. might get people that are in these areas that are paying way too much. Right. And And you said it beforehand, but I just want to make sure this hits home. This is still not reducing any of that 90% we talked about. This is just, this is just because they're able to hide their costs. Places can charge up to like, well, not up to even more sometimes, but you know, four times more on a knee replacement. Yeah. Because they don't have to say what is up front because they know you'll, you know, if they did, you'd shop and you go somewhere else. And, and the difference there, I mean, we're talking about, you know, $30,000, $40,000, $40,000. $30,000, $40,000, $40,000. So that's not a small chunk of change. And no. even if you don't pay it personally,
1: the taxpayer pays for it. Right, yeah. So if Medicare, uh, with their... So the uh, national averages I cited included the Medicare patients uh, paying an average of 56000 through Medicare. Yeah. If... If the United States federal government were to adopt a system that paid more groups like the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, we would be looking at cutting surgery costs for Medicare down to a quarter of what they are. So you reduce it by 90%. Then we've reduced it another quarter,
0: about... Right, and so, so it just, just as a person, who, if you've ever gone to the hospital and you listen to this right now, and you think about what your bill has been, how ridiculous it is, cut it by ninety percent, and then cut it by another quarter, and just think about what the difference that that would make, even if it's just a simple broken arm, and then imagine what it is if you've got a life-threatening condition, and then imagine what the price that what that would do to insurance companies, and then imagine how little we would care about pre-existing conditions. Right, just, just, uh, and I'm summarizing all the costs that we've talked about because we talked so much about costs. And the reason I'm doing that is because I did want to wrap up since this is our part two and probably our final part of this tough question that I've loved doing with you. We haven't talked actually about what it would do for healthcare itself because I find that to be more simple, right? I'm saving that for the end. Because I think it's a little easier. Because when we say you have to, here's what a dialysis machine has to be. Here's what an ultrasound has to be. Here's what stitches have to be. What does that do to innovation, Paul?
1: It stifles innovation.
0: And so if I made it, this is the, the last part of the free market, is if I said, hey, I've got an experimental procedure. You're allowed to try it if you would like to. Here's what the old one costs. Here's the positives, negatives. Here's what the new one could be. Positives, negatives, people would be allowed to try. We're not allowed to try right now because of fear, right? We, we say, well, yeah. you know, what, what happens if you get killed? Well, presumably people trying these type of things, it, they're going to die anyway.
1: Yeah, we, we've had to fight very hard in this country just for right to try legislation. We've yeah. had to ask for permission to try Hail Mary passes for end of life care
0: and and it and i guess one of the few things we can we can nod trump on but he did pass that and uh but it's still it's hard to do you've got to get a lot of certification it's still overly expensive you still go through a lot of regulation and it's still only if you're going to die that's still you need a diagnosis that you're going to die not so let me tell you a story that I have, and hopefully you know some. well, hopefully you don't know someone in your life like this, but if you do, you can relate. I had a friend that I would visit. It was actually a friend through my church, and we, we did um, some scripture study together, Bible study. And she had uh, these migraines, and so she went and did this uh, procedure that put this uh uh, device in her head that you could see on the outside of her ear. And I wish I knew the exact name of it. I probably should have looked it up beforehand. There's probably someone with more medical know-how listening right now that's rolling their eyes and they're saying, that's what that is. But it reduced her migraines and it required this battery. And so uh, it worked for her. It was experimental, but it worked for her. And it was better than opioids, you know, all the other pain medications that you think of, you know, opioids, or, you know, uh, cannabis oil or, or, you know, some of the riskier ones. This was just, you know, it released waves into her brain that helped deal with her migraines so that she could function. And the government said, well, we're illegalizing that procedure. And she's like, well, that's okay. I already have it. All I need is the batteries. And they actually have outlawed the batteries from being sold in this country. So she can, she has this thing sticking out of her head, uh, right by her ear that she can't even get the batteries for without breaking the law that would cure her migraines. And now she has to take a drug that's harmful to her health. And that's not free market. That's not libertarian. You know, this is not in America that you're free to do what you want with. That's her story. And it became my story because she became a good friend And it's just so aggravating to know that she was not alone. In fact, there were thousands of people who had her procedure in there and and dealt with what she had to deal with. But they legalized your ability to try. Now, what if there were some crippling condition? What if those waves that were released into her head gave her brain cancer or gave her tumors or something like that? Look, it's her health. It's her body. She has the right to try. If she says, I'd rather risk it than be addicted to an opioid, than this, you know, lay around at home all day in crippling pain, it needs to be her right to try. I know that we've gone really quickly from an economic perspective to a moral perspective. But this moral perspective is what the free market would push for. I guess that's my final thought. And I'll leave, I'll leave you with the rest of the time. But just remember that that when we talk about these costs, because I love numbers, there's people behind them. And this innovation, this stiflement of Im- innovation, as well as the expense on what we are on the base needs that we already have, prevent us from saving people's lives. And I will turn the rest of the time to you, Paul.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I... I... That is one area where the Liberty Movement does need to start looking at their friends and neighbors and understanding the reasons why, you know, we we do lose ground when we're discussing things purely on the numbers. Uh, we... So, with your friend, the uh, batteries she needs are illegal now, yes? Yep. And... Wow, I, that's one that I'd love to know more about. But
0: yeah, you know, I, I, maybe it'd be worth getting on the show, to, like just to talk about. But but I mean, it, this the situation isn't that much more complicated. Like yeah. she she, I mean, and there's people that she knows that could rig like a nine volt up and like put some <laughs> wires in there and stick it in and mess with the machine that's in her head. But she doesn't want to do that too much because if it breaks. You know, one, it's in her head. I mean, it's near her brain. You know, we don't yeah. want to mess with it too much. And two, is, you know, it, it's illegal for her to have to begin with. And so if they see that she's tried to do it, she gets prosecuted. You know, if she's tried to mess with it and tried to make the thing in her head function, she could go to jail. Wow.
1: Yeah. So. On that depressing note. <laughs> but, yeah. So we all those other libertarians out there that are listening to this, you know, yes, the economics are important, and the economics do affect people's lives, but we need to keep in mind that, you know, when we're talking about reducing costs 90%, we're talking about making it so that 10 times more people can afford a procedure without it destroying their livelihoods. Yeah. You know,
0: Spot on, spot on, Paul. Well, Paul, it's been great talking with you, man. I know we're yeah. a little bit over time, but I I feel like it's worth it for this, and I I hope that we answered your question about healthcare, and, you know, about how, what a libertarian world with healthcare would look like. If you've got any other questions, uh, Paul and I don't even have a commitment for next week yet, so join us on the Discord or ask any question you want, and we'd uh we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, Paul, love talking to you. Great talking to you too, Hody. Have a good one. You too.